0: All right, y'all got some pretty big breaking news to discuss with you. Um, Puck News is reporting that Biden may have a primary challenge. All right, so let me give you the specifics. This is from Tara Palmieri. She says, last week in my piece titled Biden's Inevitability Mythology, I reported on one of the more amusing Washington Parlor games of late. The fact that a number of leading Democratic figures like Gavin Newsom and J.B. Pritzker are paying diligent lip service regarding their fealty to the president while quietly amassing political organizations of their own in preparation for the possibility that Joe Biden suddenly decides not to run or if another challenger breaks the seal, which would open the dam. Since then, I learned that Marianne Williamson, the spiritual activist and 2020 candidate, has been actively making significant moves toward challenging Biden. All right, so let's get to that in a second. Well, I'll get you, I'll give you the specifics here in a second. But to the Gavin Newsom and JB Pritzker point, look, those are loyal corporate establishment Democrats. And so they are not going to pull the trigger on a presidential run until they get the okay, until the higher ups say, okay, son, you're next in line, go ahead and take your shot. So, yeah, they may be, you know, getting together an organization behind the scenes. But the fact of the matter is, unless Biden steps aside, they're almost certainly not running. And even if somebody else steps in to challenge Biden, I still think they would probably wait until it's, quote unquote, their turn. Okay, so here's what they say about Marianne Williamson at a party in L.A. last month. Williamson spoke about her position against corporate Democrats and the need to challenge Biden to very reliable sources have also told me that Williamson has already put out feelers to donors and secured an exploratory committee campaign tab on Act Blue. So for those of you who don't know, that means that uh, basically you have small dollar donor infrastructure set up now. She has visited New Hampshire, South Carolina, and Iowa before the decision to nix Iowa from the primary lineup. She's already trying to build an operation in South Carolina where staffers are reaching out to former Bernie Sanders alumni to see if they're game. Williamson declined to comment. So, look, I mean, based on this article, it's not 100% definitive yet, right? Um, And, you know, I I happen to know very well from behind the scenes, in personal conversations, I know she's considering a run. Um, Again, this isn't 100%, but... There's a lot of really, really good signs here. Okay, now, look, when it comes to Biden, I said it before, I said it a million times, and I'll say it again. I'll give him credit when he does good things. And, you know, I pride myself on the fact that I've been more nuanced than most in going through his record with a fine-tooth comb and telling you the good parts and telling you the bad parts. I do my best to not be what I like to call a narrative humper, which is somebody who makes the same stale point over and over, and is like allergic to nuance. No, I like to dive into the nuance. So there are times I've been complimentary of how Biden has done now, or of what Biden has done. Now, the reality is I expected absolutely nothing from him, though. So like the fact that he's doing better than I expected is like saying he's doing better than herpes, (laughs) or he's doing better than John Wayne Gacy, right? So do I actually want somebody to challenge him? Absolutely, I do. Absolutely, I do. And I think Marianne would be wonderful for that because look at what happened in 2016 and 2020 with the Bernie Sanders runs. He changed the conversation. He shifted the Overton window. He's the one who came up with basically the policy purity test that every other Democrat was measured next to. And ultimately, that's a good thing. There's no way that Biden would have done even the limited student loan debt reduction that he did, if it wasn't for Bernie 2016 and Bernie 2020. He changed the conversation completely. And so we need somebody to be the standard bearer. We need somebody to lay out there like, look, this is the ideal. This is what we're going for. And if you know, your run-of-the-mill Democrat doesn't live up to this, well, that's a fucking problem and that needs to change. So Marianne Running can put Medicare for All front and center. Free college front and center. Eliminating all student loan debt front and center. Eliminating uh, medical debt. Put that front and center. Living wage. Unionization. Ending the wars. You know, go down the list. She could be the one to shift the conversation and to pressure Biden from the left. And look, in with this political climate, you never fucking know what's going to happen, man. You never know what's going to happen. Biden could literally croak while on the campaign trail, right? (laughs) The fact that Donald Trump became president in 2016 means you could throw out the entire political rule book, the strategy book of like, you got to do this and do that, and then eventually everything falls into place and you become president. No, there, there are no rules anymore. So somebody who leads with a clear vision of a social democratic future for this country. I think that's exactly what we need right now. So look, if she does jump in, she has my 100% support. And I hope you guys would back her up too. She is way closer to my politics than Joe Biden or your standard run-of-the-mill corporate Democrats. I ba- I think there's basically a 0% chance of Biden uh, trying to primary Bernie, or excuse me, of Bernie trying to primary Biden whereas you know Marianne very well may have the stones she may have the stones to jump in and say you know what fuck it what's the worst that can happen and that is that's how everybody needs to think about this what is the worst that can happen what's the worst that can happen okay you lose and then what sun rises the next day and everybody goes about their business and we fight on but like if the if the worst that can happen is you lose after you remind everybody about ending corruption and Medicare for all and a living wage and free college and all the policies we need to fix this country. Well, just the fact that those good ideas were given another boost, were talked about more, that alone makes it worth it. So. Hashtag run, Marianne run. I don't know. We might have to work on that. That's a little bit of a sloppy, messy hashtag, but (laughs) we'll come up with something. Um, I hope she does it. This is certainly evidence that she's going to do it. It's not proof yet. We have to wait until, you know, it's conclusive, but I like what I see. All right, guys, so uh, it turns out Sean Hannity kind of admits here to brazenly lying on air about the 2020 election being stolen. So there's a there's a court case going on right now. The Dominion voting machine company is suing Fox News. I believe they also sued other conservative media outlets because, of course, they pushed the bogus narrative that the election was stolen. And Dominion argues, hey, they defamed us in the process of it. So let's go through this article here. There's a lot of interesting tidbits in here. So um, this is in Vox. They say Sean Hannity's damning deposition in the Fox News defamation lawsuit explained Will Fox News have to answer for its misleading coverage of the 2020 election? Fox News Sean Hannity may have uncritically elevated baseless conspiracy theories about widespread fraud committed by voting machine suppliers in the 2020 election, even though he didn't think they were true. That's the latest revelation out of the Dominion voting system's $1.6 billion defamation lawsuit against Fox News and his parent company, Fox Corporation, which is slated to go to trial in April in a Delaware court. Dominion sells election technology, including voting machines, that was employed in over two dozen states in 2020, and it argues that, following former President Donald Trump's election loss, Fox broadcasted a series of unfounded and defamatory allegations about the company that it knew to be untrue. In in the process, Dominion says Fox, quote, destroyed the enterprise value of a business that was worth potentially more than $1 billion. Okay, so let me just state this up front. I think it's total bullshit that we have, like, any private companies involved in our public election infrastructure. It just seems to me that that's something that should be done publicly. You know, I don't want the profit motive sort of fucking up the purity of our elections. Now That almost sounds like a joke because our elections are totally impure now in a million different ways, especially with the big money that pours into our elections. But I think you guys get the point. Why should we like contract out? To private companies that are for profit, something as important as as voting machines. So I don't even like that there are these private, uh, you know, voting machine companies. But uh, having said that, that also doesn't give you license to like brazenly lie about about one of these companies and and what they do. They continue here, according to Dominion's March twenty twenty one complaint, Fox advanced the lies that that, that Dominion had committed election fraud by rigging the 2020 presidential election, including by using its software and algorithms to alter vote counts. That Dominion is owned by a company founded in Venezuela <laughs> that has tried to rig elections in favor of the dictator Hugo Chavez. And that Dominion paid officials to adopt its machines in 2020. Okay, so let me just comment on this here for a second. One of my favorite uh, insane moments with this election conspiracy is when Mike Lindell went on CNN and he argued that like he caught this, this specific County, I forget which state it was in, but this specific County, I caught them red handed. Look here are the documents. I don't know why I just made Mike Lindell sound like Alex Jones, but uh, (laughs) he, um, he held up like these sheets of paper that had like all these letters and numbers on them. And it, it looked like, Oh, is that some official like voting machine code? And then come to find out, not only was it not that, but the county that he was quote unquote auditing was never at any point even connected to the internet so like whatever documents he thought he got whoever gave it to him or if he made them up whatever it like it has nothing to do with the county where he says this is the election data from that county and so they also by the way hand counted um it, you know to to check the vote in that county they did a hand recount And they got the exact results that they thought they had gotten on election day. So, like, there was nothing fishy at all about what happened. But, you know, he was literally holding up totally fake documents and acting like it was proof. Anyway, quote, Fox, one of the most powerful media companies in the United States, gave life to a manufactured storyline about election fraud that cast then little known voting machine company called Dominion as the villain. The complaint states one way the company claims Fox did this is by giving conspiracy theorists unfiltered platforms Sidney Powell, who, by the way, is just as crazy as Mike Lindell, a former federal prosecutor who is also being sued by Dominion for defamation, appeared on Hannity's primetime show on November 30th, 2020, a week after she was unceremoniously booted from former President Donald Trump's legal team challenging the results of the 2020 election. She had also been a guest on Hannity's radio show earlier that day, quote, There was a whole plot going on, and a lot of people involved in this, Powell said on the evening show. She baselessly accused voting machine companies, including Dominion, of using their machines to, quote, trash large batches of votes that should have been awarded to President Trump and to, quote, inject and add massive quantities of votes for Mr. Biden. Hannity, a longtime Trump ally, didn't push back against those claims, even as concerns grew among Republicans that Powell's rhetoric had grown too extreme. He stopped short of making those same accusations himself but didn't dismiss them either. He asked whether the machines had been investigated for the kind of tampering that she was alleging. Powell said it would happen soon and asked why Democrats weren't looking into any of these whistleblower claims before ending the segment. Okay, so look, the reason why Sidney Powell was let go from the Trump administration is because even they realized this woman is out of her fucking mind. Her lies were so preposterous and so ridiculous and so silly. And this was one of the people who was convincing Trump like hey man you have a you have a shot here to like to really overturn this thing and to really expose like the rigging and she was convincing Trump along with Michael Flynn along with Rudy Giuliani and um it was you know this was actually a problem for a lot of the attorneys that were uh, around Trump and his staff because they had to get into a screaming match with Michael Michael Flynn and Sidney Powell in the White House in front of Trump to to tell them like look if you guys say all these things are true you guys say that you know it, Dominion is working with fucking Venezuela to swing the election for Biden. Give us evidence. Give us proof. And they never had any proof. And the attorneys kept bringing up, hey, assholes, we've had over 60 fucking lawsuits over this, and we've won none of them. So, like, we've looked into your claims, and they are bogus. They are not panning out. And so the Trump administration let her go because she was that psycho that even they couldn't defend having her there anymore. And Hannity lets her on his show a week later after she was let go. And it's like, well, you know what you're doing at that point. You're just creating a narrative for the sake of your partisan audience. You're not actually doing news. You're not actually fact-finding. You're not actually, like, giving people the truth. Two years later, he was asked about Powell's theory in a seven-hour deposition that was reportedly shared during a court hearing this week as part of the Dominion lawsuit, quote, I did not believe it for one second, he said under oath. Powell also walked back her theorizing in 2021 with her lawyer stating, and I quote, no reasonable person would conclude that the statements Powell made were truly statements of fact. Wow. So when she's under legal pressure, knowing there actually are consequences. Then she has to say, oh, no, I I wasn't even saying that these things were facts. Oh, my God. These are total charlatans, guys. Dominion claims that this is clear-cut defamation. Now Dominion argues Hannity's apparently credulous stance toward the conspiracy theories and the fact that he didn't push back on them shows Fox deliberately misled its viewers about Trump's 2020 election loss, including on what was at the time the most watched show on cable news. Fox News has previously aired a segment across several of its shows designed to defend its own hosts and distance itself from guests, statements, accusing voting machines and software companies of election fraud. See, Fox News, um, when they realized there could be real uh, repercussions for this, they did sort of like run away at a thousand miles an hour. Um, You saw Newsmax and One America News Network. They went all in on the conspiracy theories um, and they paid the price as well. I think there were lawsuits against them as well. And at one point, a host on one of those networks had to come out and read a statement about how, you know, all this stuff is bogus. Kind of like how Alex Jones had to read that thing about Sandy Hook too. So, Fox, like, after they already shit the bed, they were like, hey man, shitting in the bed is really wrong. <laughs> but, look, they're, they're, they're a more professional outlet than the other two upstarts, right? But the question is, do they have... Um, you know, legal responsibility, like, are they going to be held accountable for what they said before they distance themselves from the craziness? Hannity's statement doesn't exactly help his networks case, but Dominion still faces an uphill battle to win what could become the most significant First Amendment case uh, in recent years, particularly if the U.S. Supreme Court gets involved at some point. The Supreme Court has previously ruled that lies or inaccuracies do have some protection under the First Amendment and that and that has made it difficult for defamation cases against journalists to prevail, but this case will test just how far that protection goes. Yeah, so there are like really big First Amendment implications here because it is very, very difficult to prove libel, slander, defamation. Like, Dominion is going to have to prove material damages. Like, no, this really, really hurt us financially, and we can prove it. Um, And then you also have to prove, like, malintent on the part of Fox news or the Fox news hosts. In other words, like they're saying it, they know it's wrong and they know it's going to hurt dominion and they said it anyway. So it is a very, very high bar to clear. Um, It'll be interesting to see if they can actually clear that bar. In addition to Hannity, Dominion has also deposed other Fox anchors, including Janine Pirro and Tucker Carlson, as well as Shepard Smith, who has left the network and high profile figures uh, in the Fox News empire. That includes members of the Murdoch family, which owns Fox, in addition to News Corp, the New York Post and the Wall Street Journal. NPR reported that Dominion attorneys are trying to prove that Lachlan Murdoch, who presides over those media properties, permitted or even encouraged Fox News news. To broadcast lies about fraud in the 2020 election, despite knowing them to be false. They have also deposed his father, Rupert Murdoch. So, by the way, um, if they can prove this, if they have like emails or text messages of this guy saying, yeah, we know it's bullshit. Go ahead and and do it anyway, because this is the direction that the audience wants us to go. Then Fox may actually be in serious trouble. Um, But again... I just want to let everybody know, very, very difficult to prove in a court of law. And if I had to guess at this moment, based on what we know to this point, I would say um, Fox is probably going to win the case. Judge Eric Davis has rebuffed Fox's request to throw out the suit on the basis of several protections for journalists and First Amendment law. The network has argued that in its coverage of the 2020 election, it was merely reporting on newsworthy allegations made by prominent actors against public figures as part of a dispute that had not yet been resolved, which would protect it from libel claims. The network also claimed that its hosts were merely stating opinions that could not be proven, true or false, and that it had the right to report on defamatory statements that were made during official government meetings. Look, like, there's one part of this that's totally inarguable, okay? And that is, Fox News is not news. They're not in the business of facts and information and education and telling you, the truth. They're not telling you, they're not giving you the straight dope. They're not trying to remove their biases. They are, you know, diving in the deep end of their own biases. And so the one part of this that, you know, nobody like this this is totally inarguable. Nobody could say, yeah, they're good at their jobs. No. The question is, does this cross the line into criminality? That's the question. Uh, but just from like a, a sheer news perspective. Like, Fox News is one of the worst. I mean, it's comical that anybody considers them news. It's just, it, it's it's disgusting. It, it gives a bad name to news outlets. Now, I'm not saying CNN and MSNBC give a good name to it, because they don't. They suck also, just in a different way. But, like, this is so far away from actual news that it's it's incomprehensible. Where was I? In the immediate weeks after the election, Carlson also tried to sow doubt about the security of voting machines and called the race, quote, rigged for Joe Biden. And Pirro lamented that, quote, we are all being told to shut up and move on after claiming that the irregularities were beyond minimal in the election. Because of statements like these, including hosts, including by hosts, Dominion says those defenses shouldn't apply in this case. Quote, if this case does not rise to the level of defamation by a broadcaster, then nothing does, it stated in its original complaint. Look, I will say just from a legal perspective, it is difficult to conceive of like the harm done to a corporation rising to a defamatory level. You know what I mean? Like when you think of defamation, you think of like a malicious statement made on purpose to sort of ruin somebody's reputation, get them fired or whatever. Like that's what you think of when you think of defamation for a corporation to say this is defamatory. That does strike me as much harder to prove and much sillier. Um, but substantively, there's no doubt that Fox is wrong. And the stuff they said wasn't correct. It was totally bogus. It helped feed this hysteria in the country, which has lasted to this day. By the way, you could also argue they played a role in, you know, creating the, the fertile environment which led to January 6th. And um, all that stuff is unforgivable. I'll be very, very interested to see what happens in this case. Again, um, from my perspective, as of this moment, based on what we know, it looks like, I think Fox will probably win just because the bar is so high to prove defamation. But again, you cannot say that Fox does news. They don't do news. They're basically talk radio on TV. It's Rush Limbaugh. It's totally biased, far-right garbage. And this is actually a case of... They're suffering here from something that usually new media suffers from, which is audience capture in this instance. You know, um, who's really in control here? Like, who's really steering the car? Like, who's determining the direction of the company? And the answer, I think, here was the psychos in the audience, the, the far right. And, um, well, they fucked around and they might find out. All right guys, you got to take a look at this clip from CNBC. This is crazy. So, Matt Novak tweeted the following. It's surreal to watch financial news talk about regular people having money to spend and job security as a negative thing. If you ever needed convincing that the health of the economy is a conspiracy against working people, watch this clip from CNBC that just aired. So, uh I think this uh this commentary here nails it. It's astonishing. The like their assumptions about what is good economically and what is bad. Watch this.
1: Yeah, slogging, slogging for the first six months, more slogging.
2: Yes, Joe, thank you for having me, and good morning, everyone. I do think it will be a slog for the first half, certainly, of 23. So people who are coming out of 22 with that exhaustion you were mentioning um, should get ready for some more. We think it's going to be a slog for the Fed. We think it's going to be a slog for the markets. You know, Carol mentioned the consumer. The consumer is just really still very strong. They have cash balances at the banks that are 30 percent above where they were pre-pandemic. Even when you look at the lower income cohorts, they're still 12 to 15 percent above where they were pre-pandemic. So they have cash to spend. They've certainly demonstrated a desire to spend. We're seeing that what they're spending on is changing and they're moving more to experiences than goods, but they're spending and they have confidence to spend because the jobs market is about as good as we've seen in the last 40 to 50 years. So they have a job and they have confidence that they can get another job if they need to. So that's a really tough not for the Fed to crack when the U.S. consumer is 70 percent of the economy. And so we think this is going to take time and this is going to be a real slog for the next eight to nine months. Yes, the market is a discounting mechanism and it will look forward, but we're not close to cutting. We're not close to pivot yet. And right now, the market thinks we cut in November and that's just too soon.
0: So she's very clearly talking about working people having money there like it's a bad thing, like it's a negative thing for the economy, for the, for the markets. They talk about the markets like it's some sort of a evil, satanic, overlord, god-type figure that you need to make child sacrifices to. I mean, like, this clip was from the fucking Twilight Zone. By the way, we're going to get to in a second what she says about like, oh, you know, people in the middle are actually doing really fucking well now. Like all that stuff is cherry picked facts, which totally misses the overall picture. It's not true at all. People are still struggling. But look at this. She thinks, well, you know, working people are doing really, really well. And man, doesn't that suck for the stock market? Doesn't that suck for the Fed? Doesn't that suck for inflation? Doesn't that suck for the economy? Like I don't know man, these people got too much money and they're spending you know the the consumers are uh are doing really well, and uh, it's not looking good it's not looking good it's a tough nut to crack I think that's that's those were the words that she used This is fucking psychopathic man, this is crazy now all right to to the main claim here, well, the main claim is that aren't like isn't the middle class doing great, and oh boy, isn't that a problem right and that on its face is like Just fucking evil, evil. Um, But I take issue with even the premise. They're like, oh, you know, everybody's doing great. Look at this. 63% of Americans say they're living paycheck to paycheck. It's in a survey, December 15th, 2022. 56% of Americans can't cover a $1,000 emergency. Isn't that crazy? January 19, 2022. So this one's a little bit old, but it's the most recent one I could find. It's probably about the same number now. 56% can't cover a $1,000 emergency. Credit card debt in the U.S. hits all-time high of $930 billion. And we're not even talking about medical debt here. We're not even talking about student loan debt, which Biden, to his credit, tried to reduce some of it, but it looks like the courts are going to now block that. This idea, I mean, she is apoplectic and outraged at the notion that, you know, some people in the middle class have some money that they're spending. Um, she thinks that's a bad thing. And so she wants to take what I just showed you here, all these facts. She wants to take this fact, this fact, and this fact, and make them worse. Because in her mind, working people are just doing... uh too well right now, and that's our problem. And by the way, just so you understand, this isn't some random schmuck on CNBC and that's it. Uh, This isn't just some like business commentator. No, this is also the position of the Federal Reserve. And the Fed is continuing to jack up interest rates. And the whole reason for them to do that is to induce a recession so they hope they can then in turn lower inflation. They want quote unquote price stability and they're trying to induce a recession, which means kick millions of people um, out of their jobs. They think that's the right thing to do. They think that's what's good for the country. And by the way, I don't even think that their approach to this is the correct approach, because if inflation is driven more by the supply chain and corporate profits and monopolies, then you're not addressing any of those things. So by raising interest rates as much as as they are and continuing to do it, we might get to a place where we have stagflation, which is both inflation at the same time you have a a recession, a stagnating economy. So that it looks like that's what we're going towards because they don't want to address the actual problem because they don't think it is a problem, right? They don't think monopolies are a problem. They don't think... Corporate price gouging is a problem, even though corporations just hit literal record profits. They don't think the supply chain is the problem. They think the problem is hot labor market. And isn't it terrible that these people have all this extra wealth now? I mean, the middle class is doing too well. That, that, that's, that's the issue. We, got, we have to stop that. Man, what a, what a fucking psychopathic video that was. Jesus Christ. And they just say this stuff out loud. But you got to understand the reason why they get away with this on that network is because like you know who watches cnbc <laughs> it's all like top 1% goons wall street types ceos the the people who actually have investments the people who care more about the stock market than they do their their neighbor their working neighbor that's who watches it so they're preaching to the choir really really crazy stuff all right y'all so the goofballs over at fox are um Tackling the serious issues this Christmas, and uh, Merry Christmas to everybody out there. Um, this will be this will be a nice little present for you. So, this is in mediaite. America has lost its sense of God. Fox News host f- hosts fume at Biden because he didn't say Jesus during Christmas speech. All right, so I'm going to play the clip for you, and then I'm also going to play some of the Biden speech for you. I'm not going to go through the whole Biden speech, but I'll just give you a sense of like what was said in the Biden speech. So. Take note of like how offended they get here, and then you can compare that against the actual speech. Can
1: you imagine being a speechwriter in this White House? <laughs> I mean, it, it must be just completely difficult. I mean, okay, did I offend somebody here? Is this right? You know, now Am I using this right? Word? It's got to be difficult. In this speech, look, if he, if there was a true, honest
0: assessment, if any of us here wanted to change a narrative, all right, just real quick, he is talking about it's hard to be a writer for a Democrat because. People get offended at everything. And he's saying this in a segment where they're going to get offended. You can't do the whole like, ha ha, triggered lib snowflake cooks as you're being the triggered snowflake cook.
1: I understand his speech from that point, except there was something missing. It was. And I have been a part of this. I choose in this next year to work with the Republicans coming in in the House, and I choose to work with the American people because
0: I have actually had a part of this. I'm not, and, and I could, you know, if he wanted to go in and say, I would. Okay, if his criticism is Biden's not bipartisan enough, he needs to Google Joe Biden. <laughs> because Joe Biden, his whole career has been reaching across the aisle, working with Mitch McConnell, and by the way, doing it usually for Republican priorities. So this guy should love Joe Biden, whether it's the crime bill or the Iraq war, there's a number of right wing things. Joe Biden has done bipartisan legislation on and he's acting like, well, this guy, this guy's very one sided, very partisan. He's not taking any responsibility for himself. Not, not the
1: whole part, but I had a part of this. I had a, this famous red speech that you hadn't felt that would have at least we could have sat here and said, OK, OK, I'll give him a two, you know, a little bit of try because he said I'm part of it. But it was completely. You know, let's just all get along. We had the, you know the fluff and stuff, and then and, and knowing what is going on, knowing what is coming, that's the part here. But not saying the name of Jesus. Look, there are other holidays <laughs> celebrate you holiday, but Christmas is the birth of Christ. When we celebrate the birth of Christ, <laughs> who came and gave us the gift of life, that's what we celebrate. And to take that out is just sad.
0: <laughs> you didn't even say the word Jesus. You didn't even say the word Jesus. Say the word Jesus. Say. It. That was hurting my voice. I was trying that. (laughs) Imagine. Okay, again, I'm going to show you the speech in a second. I'll show you some of the speech in a second. But what an amazing criticism. You didn't even say in baby Jesus, good Lord, God, Joseph and Mary's name. I agree. But Kara, at the end of the speech, mind you, it was the very end of the speech. The president
3: did want to remind people that we don't know what people are going through. There are a lot of people suffering. Mm-hmm. Small acts of kindness go a long way. That is the message of the holiday season. Faith, family and
4: kindness. Of course. And it's all connected as well. This division and, uh, you know, not saying the name of Jesus.
0: OK, so she says uh, Joe Biden, he's the, the division in this speech. He's being too fucking divisive, bro. He's being too divide. Joe Biden's too divisive. Joe Biden is sleeping. When he gives a speech, he's he's being so devices. All right, remember, again, remember that
4: criticism. When James John Adams actually said, "This Constitution is made for a moral and religious people only." So America's law. Yeah,
0: Thomas Jefferson also said he's the one who came up with the phrase "separation of church and state," which he put in a letter. And the Constitution is deeply secular
4: sense of god it sense, it's christian values and i think this is just-
0: By the way judeo christian is made up there is no such thing as judeo christian that is modern that's a modern invention that they put those two words together
4: Just a manifestation, the speech, not mentioning Christ, uh, talking about how divided this nation's been for so long. It's all part and parcel of the secularization of America. And we need to return to our faith. That's the only way society is going to work going forward. And it's made us a city on a hill. We need to reclaim that. We need to reclaim our founding.
0: Okay, yeah, we need to go back to our faith. 70% of this this country is Christian. Okay, 70%. So, oh, we've strayed. We've strayed. We've gotten away from it. I wish, I wish we strayed away from religion more. If we did, we might look like some of the social democracies in Scandinavia. They're some of the least religious developed countries on the planet, and they have healthcare for everybody, and they have education for everybody, and they have higher wages. But okay, all right, so you guys get the gist of the criticism. It's divisive, doing a divisive speech. It's divisive, and he doesn't bring up Jesus. All right, so I Google searched uh, President Biden's Christmas address. This is the first video that came up, okay? This is from CBS News. The volume's a little low on it. It's just a heads up. Um, but it, it's, it. you know, we can still listen to it. It's not, like, crazy low. Anyway, so I, I Google searched it. This is the first video that came up. And listen to this. Listen to the first 10 seconds.
5: Your Christmas story is at the heart of the Christmas Christian faith. But the message of hope, love, peace. And- he...
0: He mentioned the Christian faith in the first eight seconds. Eight se- but you didn't say Jesus! You just said Christian! And even though Jesus' last name is Christ, and Christian stems from the word Christ, you gotta say his first name. You gotta say Jesus. You gotta say that. What the fuck, bro? <laughs> These people are fucking ridiculous. All right, so now let's go to the, the other criticism.
5: Of, like, divisive, divisive. Joy, they're also universal. It speaks to all of us, whether we're Christian, Jewish, Hindu, Muslim, Buddhist, or any other faith or no faith at all. It speaks to all of us as human beings. We're here on this earth to care for one another, to look out for one another, to love one another. The message of Christmas is always important, but it's especially important through tough times. Like the ones we've been through the past few years.
0: This is literally the least objectionable speech I've ever heard in my life. If you went to an AI bot and said, make a presidential Christmas address, it would just shard out this. It would be this exact speech. Like, hey, we, let's all believe in... Let's all hold hands and believe in unity and be kind to each other. We've been through some tough times. Let's all just get along.
5: The pandemic has taken so much from us. We've lost so much time with one another. We've lost so many people, people we loved, over a million lives lost in America alone. That's a million empty chairs, breaking hearts and homes all across the country. Our politics has gotten so angry, so mean, so partisan. And too often we see each other as enemies, not as neighbors, as Democrats or Republicans, not as fellow Americans. Uh, uh,
0: uh, Okay, literally the opposite of divisive. Let's all come together. Let's all be Americans. Let's all remember the Christmas spirit. I okay. I have many problems with Joe Biden. The substance of the criticism from Fox hosts, call it what it is. They have Biden derangement syndrome and they have Democrat derangement syndrome. I mean, there's nothing there and they can't look. They can't talk about real issues. What are they going to do if Fox News leaned into economic coverage? They would actually lose members of their audience. Because there's plenty of people who watch Fox News who don't make a lot of money, who need a, a little bit of help, who don't have health care, who are struggling. If Fox News leaned into their economic message, it'd be like, let's kick more people off their health insurance. Let's cut more taxes for the rich. Let's deregulate Wall Street some more. Let's give another blank check to the military industrial complex. They can't cover those things, so they don't cover those things. So what they do is Democrat derangement syndrome all day, Biden derangement syndrome all day, and culture war bullshit. Hey, did say Jesus. Oh, Lord, he didn't say Jesus. He's a Satan president. He's the president of Satan. Satan town. Come on, man. It's just, it's so sad. I would love to see, I would. I wish there was some, there were like uh, other news networks that were super religious in other ways so we could see uh, a similar segment to this. I would love it if there, you know, you had people who are mad like, Biden did not mention Vishnu. He didn't fuck fucking Biden. Say it. Say Vishnu's name. Why did you not say Vishnu? How do you not bring up Vishnu? It's Vishnu season, Joe. (laughs) Oh, my God. These people. What are we going to do with them? Anyway, there you have it. Uh, Merry Christmas, everybody. And uh, enjoy your, your dinner with your right wing relatives where you'll probably have some similar arguments like these idiots we're having here. So we got some more Republican Civil War stuff to talk about here. And this is getting juicy. I enjoy it. Um, So in the Washington Post, Charlie Kirk delivers a warning to the RNC and sparks a backlash. So I find this amazing, man. The fact that a guy like Charlie Kirk can issue a warning to the RNC is amazing. Right. That's like that's like, you know, me issuing a warning to the DNC. They'd be like, what? Shut the fuck up. Like, who are you? We don't care about you. But look, the difference is the difference is the right actually welcomes their alternative media into the fray. Like, they're part of the club. People on the left, like, we are not part of fucking any club. And by the way, just to be fair, we don't want to be part of any club, right? But it would be good if we did a hostile fucking takeover of all these institutions of the Democratic Party and they actually abided, uh, you know, by the will of the people. So here, I got to give you some of the some of this stuff. And this is really interesting. Charlie Kirk, the 29 year old political activist who leads Turning Point USA and a network of conservative affiliates, wrote with a warning in a Monday email to the 168 members of the Republican National Committee. He told them that donors and activists would desert the party unless it changed. The result, he said, would be colossal failure in the 2024 presidential election. Quote. How do we plan to win in 2024 if you so boldly reject listening to the grassroots, our donors, and the biggest organizations and voices in the conservative movement? He asked in the message, which was obtained by the Washington Post. If ignored, we will have the most stunted and muted Republican Party in the history of the conservative movement, the likes of which we haven't seen in generations. All right, so, like, right off the bat here, what exactly do you want, though, Charlie? Like, when we make demands... Of the Democrats. We are super clear in what those demands are. We want you to fight for Medicare for all and free college and eliminating student loan debt and eliminating medical debt and a living wage and the PRO Act so we get more unions and ending the wars and ending the corruption. Like, we're super clear. What exactly, like, what are you angry about, Charlie? Like, he, the people who you're mad at are like exactly like you in every way in terms of their policy preferences. So like, what is this? This is just like performative anger. The extraordinary message came in the midst of a bitter GOP leadership contest with incumbent RNC chair Ronna McDaniel seeking to beat back a challenge from Harmeet Dillon, an attorney and committee member from California who has been paid for legal consulting by former President Trump's political action committee among numerous clients Kirk and his allies have vigorously promoted Dylan, hosting her on various media platforms and staging a straw poll at the recent Turning Point Summit in Phoenix. The email also deepened an internal GOP feud over the party's disappointing performance in last month's midterms, which competing factions blaming one another for why Republicans in key races came up short. Above all, the message showed how Kirk is squaring off with the GOP establishment. He is marshalling his well-resourced network of nonprofit groups, which gained popularity over the past six years with Trump Trump's backing, but demonstrated mixed results in races last month. Many of Kirk's endorsed candidates lost. Foremost among them, Carrie Lake, the GOP nominee for governor in Arizona. Dylan served as an attorney for Lake's campaign traveling to Phoenix for the election. Kirk alerted the RNC members to a new initiative of his group's political arm, Turning Point Action, that would seek to pick off RNC members deemed disconnected with grassroots conservatives. Oh my God, this is glorious. They're, they're like going to war with each other, and it's getting ugly, and it's literally over nothing. <laughs> Charlie goes, like, you, better, you better do the things that we want you to do. Dude, the whole party was doing every single thing you wanted them to do in the last election, and you guys got your fucking cheeks clapped, bro. You guys got rocked. All of your candidates sucked. Like, Charlie Kirk endorse, endorses the more Trumpy candidates, and the more Trumpy candidates are the ones who got obliterated. Doug Mastriano got obliterated in Pennsylvania. Carrie Lake in Arizona got obliterated. Blake Masters in Arizona got obliterated. The more non-Trumpy candidates, like, say, Kemp in Georgia, he won, and he won in a landslide. So, like, what do you want? You got what you wanted, and you lost, and now you're, like, blaming others for the loss and saying, you better listen to us and lose again. Like, what is this? Kirk alerted the RNC members to a new initiative of his group's political arm. Uh, We already talked about that one. He said the effort called the Mount Vernon Project will recruit leaders to serve on the RNC and at the state level who wish to better represent the grassroots. How do you want to better represent the grassroots? What what policy change are you asking for? What do your candidates stand for that the other ones don't stand for? Is it stuff like we need to audit the 2020 election even harder? Is it shit like that? The initiative, which was previously reported by Politico, is funded graciously by donors who are vocally disenchanted with the RNC's members, Kirk wrote. The project brings to the national stage a model of bare-knuckled politicking used by Turning Point in its home state of Arizona, where it has worked to purge GOP officials who stood in the way of Trump's efforts to reverse the outcome of the 2020 election. Now the focus is on the race for GOP chair, with Kirk saying at his group's weekend summit in Phoenix, Turning Point action might remove members of the RNC if they vote incorrectly. In delivering his warning Monday to RNC members, Kirk laid particular emphasis on his ties to donors. Quote, in my position, I interact with more large donors than almost anyone in the movement. Oh, I love this. Oh, my God, I love this so much. Like, he's bragging about being the most corrupt. Like, I got the most billionaire, decrepit assholes who who are supporting me. And so you guys better listen because all these billionaire assholes are not going to fucking open up their wallets for you again. Oh, that's so glorious. And by the way, you know how I mentioned earlier, like this is like me threatening the DNC? Well, now we know why Charlie Kirk feels like he has some sway. Because he's got big money behind him. That's why. And that does buy you sway and legitimacy in the political world. Whereas we make a point, a principled point of saying, we don't want to have anything to do with fucking big donors. I get paid, you know... Dylan in his mom's basement pays me five bucks a month to run Secular Talk. I don't have, any fucking, I don't have fucking George Soros on speed dial. Like this asshole probably has that whatever the living Coke brothers name number is on speed dial. He advised the GOP members that donors would cut them off unless the party changed. Quote, change how? Okay, notice we're so deep in the article. There hasn't been a single policy thing. There hasn't been a single like, you know, these conservatives are not as strongly in favor of building the wall and we are there's nothing there's nothing of substance quote in recent weeks i've spent countless hours on the phone with donors who have told me emphatically that they will not support the rnc in this presidential cycle if things do not change change how Charlie? (laughs) can i get one policy thing that this is about it's not see but that's the thing it's not really about policy stuff it's just a raw power game he's like I want me and the crazies I'm closest to to get elected, not the crazies who are a little more distant to me. McDaniel rejected criticism of her stewardship of the party in a Wednesday interview with Fox News' Brian Kilmeade, arguing, quote, This is Turning Point and Harmead trying to take over the RNC. Of Turning Point, she acknowledged, they do great conferences, but she said the group's broader impact is questionable. Quote, How many young voters did they register? How many youth voters turned out this cycle? How about the college kids in Arizona? Where are they headquartered? She asked. Kirk replied on Twitter, claiming that his group had logged more than 500,000 volunteer hours this past cycle and contacted more than 5 million voters, among other outreach. Well, guess what, Charlie? If you guys are doing this much hard work and you're still losing, then, um, I don't know, dog. Maybe it's time to go back to the drawing board. And maybe step the fuck aside. Maybe you don't know what the fuck you're doing. To be fair to him, neither does Ron McDaniel. She doesn't know what she's doing. Neither does Kevin McCarthy. None of these Republicans seem to know what the fuck they're doing. Because they all have the stench of Trump on them. But again, his main concern is like, don't don't get less crazy. Get more crazy. Dylan, for her part, criticized McDaniel's decision to go after Kirk's network. Quote, Turning Point USA is the leading conservative youth organization in America. Exactly the kind of activists we rely on and need to motivate, she said in a statement to the Post. It's a puzzling campaign choice for Rana to go out of her way to attack a large segment of our current and future grassroots uh, volunteer and voting base. So I love this. So they, like, Charlie Kirk and his team starts the fight, and then this Ronald McDaniel lady responds, and then they do the thing where they're like, Oh How dare you, sir? You've stepped out of line. Okay, but maybe then you don't throw the first fucking punch. How about that? And again, I love how, like, you have the enthusiasm of the the, you know, the Turning Point USA, you know, young people, they're gonna get involved, and it's like, they're going to get involved to keep things exactly the fucking same as they are right now. We are deeply in favor of not changing. This is, this is, what, this is where right-wing politics gets you. <laughs> this is what you end up doing. It's a movement. A movement for what? Uh, nothing. The status quo. <laughs> in a recent appearance with Dylan Kirk Prazer for taking on GOP leadership, saying, this is a club, it's a cartel, it's a smoke-filled room, you are not supposed to ask questions. Charlie... You can't say Dickie McGee's acts about a smoke-filled room when you just bragged about your connection to big money donors. The big money donors built that smoke-filled back room. They are blowing the smoke from the cigars that fill up that smoke-filled back room with smoke. Some RNC members were irked by Kirk's approach, according to emails obtained by the Post. Jose Cunningham, an RNC member from D.C., wrote a Wednesday email to other committee members in which he addressed Dylan directly about Kirk's remarks, asking, Harmeet, you claim we're your friends and colleagues. Are you really okay with someone accusing us of being a cartel? Where are the smoke-filled rooms? Harmeet, I've never seen them. Oh, shut the fuck up. All you political assholes have your smoke-filled back rooms. All of you do when, when you're begging for money from some, some decrepit billionaire. I mean, the, the, all it is is smoke-filled backroom stuff. Dylan has made similar comments, saying on Fox News earlier this month that the RNC operated like a corrupt-driven machine inside the Beltway. Emma Vaughn, a spokeswoman for McDaniel, said the chairwoman's decision to run for re-election reflected her backing within the party. Look, I, I just I enjoy this. It just fight, keep fighting, keep fighting, do it endlessly. It brings a giant smile to my face. It's exactly what I want to see, because for the longest time, it felt like all the infighting only happened on the left. Because for a long time, it did. Like, the left would always be fucking slitting each other's throats and ripping out their esophaguses. It could be, like, the most minor political disagreement, and you'd have people like, I did this three-hour fucking monologue on this, and it's like, okay, what are we doing here? Don't we have bigger fish to fry? What's going on here? But now the right is getting in on the fun. They're like, "Let's do, let do now we should do the narcissism of small differences thing. And actually, in their case, it's the narcissism of no differences. They're the same fucking people. But, they're, you know, they're, they're fighting. GOP members, Vaughn said, rallied around the chairwoman because of her unprecedented investments in the grassroots, election integrity, and minority communities, and for taking on big tech and the biased commission on presidential debates. The idea that the Republicans have taken on big tech at all is laughable. They are giant cucks to big tech. they like to virtue signal about, we don't have our free speech on our Facebook stuff, man. But then it's like, Do you want to break up Facebook? No. Do you want to raise their taxes? No. Do you want to regulate them more? No. So what are we talking about here? McDaniel, quote, will continue speaking with each other each and every... Member about how the party can continue building upon our investments and make the necessary improvements to compete and win in 2024. Vaughn added in a statement, Turning Point Action's intervention into RNC races is part of an effort to respond to our people and donors who gave McDaniel a resounding vote of no confidence in our straw poll and work to restore the RNC to the grassroots. Look, I would honestly, no matter what happens, it's going to be great because they're just going to keep fighting. But I would actually sort of love to see an alternate universe where Charlie Kirk gets exactly what he wants in every way. And the Republicans still get blown out by, like, 15 points. Because he thinks he, his ideas are popular. They're not. And by the way, I got I got some news for you. One of the reasons why his thing is even on the map is because of all the big money that he takes. And they do this whole, like, we're all about the young people. But I guarantee you, most of the people who would, like, watch Charlie Kirk's show or be involved are, are fucking, like, Fox News viewers, man. P- geriatric assholes on Social Security. And... They're like, oh, yeah, I'm all about the youth. Turning Point USA is right up my alley. This is an attractive fucking Gen Z. Fuck out of here. I mean, I'm sure there's some, but the numbers, I'm I'm sure, would be astonishing to people. Yeah, Charlie Kirk really has his finger on the pulse of the youth. (laughs) (sighs) Okay, where was I? Turning Point actions intervention already covered that part. Evidently, that is troubling to many entrenched members of the committee who are comf- who are comfortable losing. Ben Proto, a member from Connecticut, dismissed Turning Point's initiative in an email to fellow RNC members without identifying Kirk's group by name. He took aim at celebrities who claim to have the pulse of the voters, but who talk in an echo chamber to people who already agree with them. Guys, this is all of you assholes. Literally all of you assholes, man. This is what all of you do. We don't have to keep going. This is way too long of an article for such a fucking... <laughs> but you basically you could have written this article and said uh, right wing assholes fight each other over absolutely no policy differences. That would have been uh, the more accurate way to cover this. But yeah, it's just like that uh, that gif that floats around Twitter from time to time says, "Let them fight." All right, guys, I found my new favorite thing. It is official. Um, I have a, I, my guilty pleasure is listening to Stephen A. Smith debate stuff. I must admit this. He's got. Some people have this X factor when they talk where like you just need to listen to them. Like you can't help but tune in and listen to exactly what they're saying. And other people have like an anti-X factor where as soon as they start talking, you're like like you have to force yourself to try to pay attention. And like you can only get through a sentence before you fucking zone out. Um, well, Stephen A. Smith has like the X factor off the charts. His communication skills are are second to none. And so, I'll I'll fucking listen to this guy talk about some shit I don't even give a fuck about. Like, I don't watch baseball, but if he's talking about baseball or some shit, I'll be like, damn, Stephen A's freaking it right now. That's a good-ass point. <laughs> so, my new favorite thing, Stephen A. Smith randomly uh, decided to talk about politics. Fun, okay. So, in Mediate headline: Stephen A. Smith warns the left that DeSantis is not as easy a target as Trump. Quote, be careful what you wish for. Stephen A. Smith, guys... Might be listening to Secular Talk. <laughs> it would be so based if we can make this guy have good politics. Wouldn't that be awesome? All right, let's listen to the clip, and we'll break it down as we go.
3: I'm liberal leaning. I'm only fiscal with my dollars.
0: <laughs> oh, 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 Stephen, A. I love you, man. Oh, I love him. I'm liberal leaning. I'm only fiscal with my dollars. Stephen, Stephen A., come on, dog. I think what he was trying to say is I'm fiscally conservative with my dollars. I think he's trying to say, like, I'm economically conservative. If I'm trying to decode Stephen A. here, he's saying on social issues, I'm liberal. On economic issues, I'm conservative, fiscally conservative. That's what I think he's trying to say. (laughs) We're literally four seconds in and I had to pause it. I love this.
3: My point to y'all is this. Be careful what you wish for, particularly if you're on the left. Because a guy like DeSantis, the only thing he gives you to attack is his record. But tens of millions of people are going to side with that. (laughs) They're going to look at the economy. They're going to look at immigration. They're going to look at employment. They're going to look at inflation. They're going to look at impending recession. And they're going to look at his level of intelligence. What he's accomplished. They're going to recognize that he hasn't filed for bankruptcy seven times. <laughs> that he's not having his taxes audited. Because of fear of malfeasance of some si- of some kind. <laughs> They're viewing him as the grown up version of Donald Trump. And because of that reality. When. He runs because I believe he will. He's
0: not the easy target Trump is. All right. So to this point, he's spitting, man. He's right. He's right. You know, I how many times have I given this rant that there was an era of Teflon Don where he was actually Teflon and it was true. Everything the Democrats tried to do to take him down made him stronger but we're now past that era. Why? Because all of the evidence shows us we're past that era. He's got a 30% approval rating. A poll came out last week. 30%. Turns out when you casually talk about terminating the Constitution after you announced your run, and then you do an NFT scam when you're at your lowest point, turns out people are like, huh, this guy's a fucking psycho. And DeSantis, yes, he he's found a way to get the Trump base to like him, and then also get people who were not part of that Trump base. So I'm, I'm going to break this down further in a little bit, but I need to listen to him uh continuing to talk because this I'm literally every time he talks, I'm fucking endlessly entertained. I, you come on, who doesn't enjoy this? Who doesn't like listening to Stephen a talk? You wanted Trump gone, not just, because of his
3: behavior, his perpetual lies and all of this other stuff. You wanted him gone because of the policies. You wanted him gone because of how he reshaped the courts. Mm. You wanted him gone because of all of those things and his stance on we're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. You wanted him gone because of that.
0: Too. That is true. <laughs> that is true. But honestly, I think the, the driving factor for most like, Standard Democratic voters actually was more about just like his personality and his brashness and his arrogance and his lack of intelligence. So I do think for your run of the mill Democrat, it, it actually maybe had more to do with the like the unhinged nature of him and just rank partisan politics. Oh.
3: But you used his behavior to pull it off. You don't get to do that with DeSantis. At least not. Based on what we've what we know about him as of yet. And that's why I say be careful what you wish for. <laughs> Trump is somebody that an eighty-two year old Biden can beat. Facts. DeSantis. I'm not saying definitively that Biden would lose. But let's just say it wouldn't look so good. So far. correct. He stands a far better chance. I'm talking about Biden. Of remaining in office. If Trump is his opponent. Yup. DeSantis, ladies and gentlemen. That's another matter entirely.
0: I mean, I think he's mostly correct in this segment. I think he's mostly correct. And it's kind of interesting because Stephen A. has not, from what I've seen of him politically, he's actually not liberal leaning he is i've seen him talk to like sean hannity and sort of like snuggle up to like mark levin and these insane right-wing commentators and so i genuinely thought like no this guy leans right remember oh yeah he did this i think he did some like segment simping for saudi arabia's live golf remember that guys and i think we covered that oh that broke my fucking heart i hated it oh it was so bad like he didn't, he was like saying like, let them get their money. Let these golfers go get their money. It's like, no, there's this fucking blood money from a theocratic dictatorship that beheads people in the public square and fucking, uh, you know, oppresses the shit out of women and is doing a genocide in Yemen. This is like saying, yeah, go take your check from fucking Hitler. Go, go for it. It's fine. So yeah, he's, I guess he's kind of all over the place. But in terms of this uh, commentary, I, I think, I think he's mostly right. But what I will say is this, and this is the thing that Democrats need to uh need to learn is that that first point he made, like it's it's DeSantis's record is going to have to be the thing you run against, that's true. This is a guy who's against legalizing weed, he's against raising the minimum wage. He's uh passed a number of laws in Florida cracking down on your right to protest, so he's sketchy as fuck on the issue of the Constitution and the First Amendment. He did this bogus voter fraud bust where people who were legally allowed to vote were then arrested after the fact and told, actually, no, that wasn't legal. He's He's been super serving corporations at the same time that he virtue signals like he's fighting the woke corporations, raised taxes on regular Floridians and uh, and shifted the tax burden away from Disney. He's deeply corrupt. There was a great video from More Perfect Union detailing his corruption. So yes, if you run against DeSantis, those same kinds of like character attacks that you make against Trump, they're not going to work against DeSantis. It's not enough to just be like, this guy's bad. You have to actually explain it, and you have to go into the specifics of the policy. And so he's right. You have to go after him on his record. But if you do that, then he's just as vulnerable as Trump and any other Republican. Because look, at the end of the day, when you look at their voting record, like, virtually all the Republicans vote anywhere from 90% to 100% the same way. More tax cuts for the rich. More deregulation for Wall Street. Uh, a blank check for the military-industrial complex and the so-called defense contractors. Trying to gut the social safety net at every turn. This is what these guys believe in. And so, but the problem is, of course, this Democratic Party, you know, they... uh it's hard for them to to fight on policy grounds when they half agree with the Republicans on policy grounds because they're neoliberal corporatists. They believe in managing the status quo in a slightly more responsible way. And that doesn't really have that populist appeal that, you know, you need. So anyway, Stephen A. Smith is uh, awesome. Even though sometimes he says some of the dumbest things you've ever heard in, in, in your life. Um, he got this one right. And, um, Man, I would listen if he did a show every day talking about politics. Does he? Did I miss something? Is it like he's talking about politics here. Does he just do a political show now? I would listen listen to that every single day cuz I find him so fucking entertaining.